because, of course, we're in a very volatile weather situation right now. The National Weather Service in Paducah has issued a tornado warning for Marshall County, Kentucky, southwestern Lyon County, Kentucky. I'm meteorologist Noah Berger. We're under a blizzard warning for extremely heavy snow. Good evening, everybody. It's uh, Wednesday, December 12th, 2018. I'm meteorologist Noah Bergen alongside the one and only Jennifer Rukavina. And tonight's episode on number five, that is, if you're keeping score, is Billion Dollar Disasters, which is going to be quite an interesting discussion nonetheless but um per usual uh, we'll start with our little bit of banter about what's going on in the world and the world of weather for that matter i'd say the past couple of uh, days and week since we've talked to you last have been very interesting uh i had my first ever winter storm or more like ice storm to track here in <coughs> paducah in the mid-south and that storm jen was really an impressive storm. It, in, it impacted everywhere in the United States from Alaska to Southern California all the way to the Carolinas. It really did. Um, you know, starting on the west coast it brought flooding rains to parts of uh, California, mudslides where the wildfires had already burned through. Um, you know here it made the least amount of noise probably. Hmm. But uh, yeah we originally were thinking <coughs> that storm was going to bring a much wider swath of snow to our area and also to the Mid-South. I mean, I don't remember a time where, I'm, I was talking about this with Jen over the past, or when this was happening, this was last Friday, Saturday, the few days leading up to it, after our last <coughs> episode, and as we start getting more traction on our podcast, the more of you uh, fellow meteorologists start listening, you can relate to this. I don't remember a time in my short forecast, I mean, I've been forecasting weather seriously for maybe like 15 years now, I mean 10 years, 10, 12 years. I don't ever remember a time where the, the ensembles were so off for a storm that close. I mean, for five days in a row, from last Monday through Friday, Thursday, when the storm was hitting here Saturday, every run of the EPS and the GEFS consistently showed accumulating snow for our area more specifically. but. The, the, the entire Mid-South, from the Texas Panhandle, Oklahoma, our area, Eastern Kentucky, and Oklahoma we ended up getting bust. squat. <clears throat> like, I don't remember yeah. a time where the, the ensemble forecasting way of doing things was such a letdown. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We're doesn't just happen in that, often. We're in that strange part of the country where everything depended on two jet streams fusing. I mean, if there's any disruption at all, it just, everything falls apart. I mean, it just has to be the right. And, you know, I hear a lot of the time from broadcast Mets where, um, which is, this is a true statement, and I'm not <coughs> bashing other people who say this, because both of us have said this, but I hear a lot of the time, it's one of those crutch phrases, you know, when you listen to other broadcast Mets, you know, like the, a crutch meteorological saying, or like, you know, something on air, like saying as well, or, you know, 
hot temperatures or warmer air, you know, the preferences of saying things. I always hear the thing in the wintertime of the energy or the storm is still off the coast of the U.S. and models can't figure it out because the storm is not over land. Well, that's true to some extent, but it's also not because we, the, the top line <clears throat> of data that goes into data assimilation for numerical weather prediction, our models, NWP, comes from satellites. I mean, the first layer of stuff comes from satellites. So it's not like we have no, it's not like, oh, the energy for the storm is over the middle of the Pacific, so we can't forecast the snowstorm for this weekend because it's not over land yet. And I, like watching uh, fellow other stations and, you know, I hear, it's like, oh, we can't, I don't, it's just, it, I just find it interesting. I'm giving a very neutral statement here. I'm not, it's kind of a weird statement, but you know what I mean? Say, I've, I must have heard it like a thousand, I must have heard it so many times last week that the energy for the storms over the the ocean, we can't, that's why we can't forecast it. Well, I think you probably heard that from me. Well, I, I said it I too. I said it too. We're, yeah, but we but didn't. But it was more of a, look, it wasn't that we can't, it's that we'll get better data when right. it makes its way into the continental U.S., um, especially for those models that are only gridded over the U.S., and not extending past into the Pacific, some of the hmm. shorter range models. Whereas you have the European and and those, of course, are global. So the global models, you can't really use that as a as a crutch because right. they're a lot better. They take in that broader scope, but <clears throat> you know, you really do get better data. And for us, you're not going to be completely accurate or putting together a 100% forecast more than three days out anyway. So it's like, for us, it also times out with two to three days of that system getting here. It makes its way in from the Pacific Coast. That type of storm, at least, when it mm. comes through the Rockies then and into the Central Plains. But um, it's all in messaging. And I think I harped on that this last week because we had people saying you were so wrong. And it was like, we actually weren't, though, because we weren't putting out totals. We, we purposely didn't put out totals until we were much more certain. And we got essentially shamed for putting mm. ice accumulation when that's what ended up all, that was all that occurred. So this podcast is more geared toward Jen and I and the beyond the green screen topics, but a shameless little plug. I think we were the first to, to publicly put out and key in on specific ice accretion forecasts in our area if i do believe so i mean other people were still talking about potential for snow and that but i mean i think we were one of the first if not the first to put out publicly and say up to a quarter inch of ice saturday night into sunday morning i would say we had the least amount of fine tuning to do compared to others and i think that's fair because we were also still changed we watched it shift way up and down back and forth but Mm -hmm. we stayed a middle we believed in our forecasting ability and stuck to it because that's what you have to do if you're constantly questioning yourself and your forecasting ability you have no confidence in any of your forecasting then so it's like Mm -hmm. you either go all in and it busts and you learn from it yeah you go all in because you're confident in your forecasting ability and the messaging that you give to the public and they come along with you and understand that winter storms are going to evolve and change until about 24 hours out then you can get a better idea as to what precip type where and a lot of markets aren't even as large as ours we're talking about 50 county 
mm. inclusion in the local six area. A lot of markets are centered around one big city, whereas we have a split market here. So we have a much broader, uh, we don't have that center nucleus to, to, yeah. to focus on. We have to focus on the whole area. And so that can be difficult in the wintertime being uh, where we are geographically. Um, and you've got about a 300-mile spread mm. from north to south, east to west. Yeah, we probably could have discussed the whole entire podcast episode on just that storm and the forecasting yeah, and communication. But, uh, <laughs> but this, this is a good topic to discuss. But um, I, I will say a storm like we had last week, for those of you who are uh, not meteorologists who are listening, some of my friends or Jen's friends will get on our podcast. Um, that storm is something where I like to think of it where it separates the modelologist from the meteorologist. Live because and die by the models. That's a good saying one of our friends and colleagues has. But in all seriousness, though, I do feel like a storm like that, it we I don't want to say it weeds out the men from the boys. You know, just a cent, you know, an a, a phrase, but it kind of women does. from the girls. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where like you know some people in the morning, the even they shifted within the same night. You know, constantly windshield wiper as the models go south, they move south. As it goes north, they go north. And uh, don't get me wrong, as a, as a broadcast meteorologist, it takes a lot of gumption and you know, stamina and tadals to stay steady when models, especially in that like as wild one, as out, they were. one yeah. out one or two out of ten event like we had last week, where they switch between every newscast, mm -hmm. and you're trying to keep continuity and you're trying to not give the, the perception to the viewer that you really don't know what you're talking about. You know, six hours later it's one thing, six hours later it's another thing. You know, and saying one thing when the models, you know, have shifted away from that, but you're still saying that. You know, and I think a lot of people misunderstand the fact, too, that we're sort of torn between the meteorology and how we visually communicate it to the mm. public. We are in an age where, you know, consultants will tell you at different TV stations that you need to show hour-by-hour -hour conditions across the entire area, which means we have to pick a model. Most times we have to pick a model, but what we don't have to do is pick one and show it going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. If you're good and you try to find a model that fits what your forecast is going to be, there are times where we go back and we say, let's do 12Z yesterday mm -hmm. because that looked like what we think is going to happen. So let's use that one because how else are you going to visually show the timing, the path, where you're going to see what precipitation type um you know we're sort of a caught in a hard spot there where we have to show the hour by hour conditions mm -hmm. for the entire area if we were one city we could probably show you know just yeah. a, a little icon and it changed back and forth right. or temperature but this is a very wide viewing area very oh, yeah. uh large area to cover and so we can't just do it for one city we have to do it for the whole area does that make sense? I mean, oh yeah, no, no, I totally agree. But uh, like I said, we probably could have done an entire episode. Come to think of it, now on just that. Well, we storm did communicating winter weather and right and uncertainty in our last one. But anyway, that was the week in review. So I'll, that's the week in review. <laughs> and for lack of a better segue, I will talk about the the issue at hand here, or the topic at hand, which is. Um, a recent release from Climate Central, which uh, you may remember we had Bernadette Woods on a couple weeks ago. And Climate Central released a review of the 2018 calendar year, which for 
a good chunk of the eastern U.S., maybe at least 30 sta major stations, and I mean stations like major cities that report weather, like Washington, Chicago, uh, are going to be in their top 10 wettest, and some of them even the wettest in recorded history, which is an impressive <laughs> and interesting statistic, but when you take a macro scale look at it and you pare back that onion, it <coughs> that trend this year is a part of a bigger trend over the course of history where seasons and calendar years are getting wetter and we're getting more precipitation and we're getting more of these really extreme precipitation events. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, um, that's been something the Mid-South, parts of the Midwest have been dealing with for a while now is um, an increase in heavy downpours, which in result usually ends up in a wetter annual report and uh, so as you're showing that graphic there how well how wet is 2018 I'm just gonna read what you can see that's for the Paducah area so you can see the trend there where the wettest of course was 2011 that led to um, the flood 2011 which was on the Ohio and Mississippi rivers as well as the lakes area the Clarks River all of that was back in 2011 and you can see there was a sharp jump in the month of April and into May, and that was when we had significant rainfall, the wettest month on record. Um, and then it sort of levels off and slowly climbs until the end of the year. There's another sharp jump there at the end of the year. But then if you look at 2018, it has just been a steady climb the whole way up. And uh, compared to average, uh, we're sort of in between average and the wettest on record. So that's a lot. Now, for more specific numbers, uh, the Weather Service in Paducah says several locations have exceeded 60 inches of precipitation since January 1st in our region. Um, and that's mostly in western Kentucky. The highest observed total is about 67.17 inches at the station in Katy's, wow. which is near the lakes. With more wet weather coming, many more sites will join the 60 uh, inches of rain club by the weekend which is quite incredible. That's, uh, mm. in some areas, 20 inches above normal for the year. I mm. mean, you're talking about significant rain, and we you saw earlier in the year we did have some rises on the Ohio River and uh, Cape Girardeau southward on the Mississippi. Uh, it wasn't record-breaking, but it was certainly, mm. you know, all too familiar. The rivers rising here has become almost an annual thing. And that also ties into disasters. And what I want to bring up here briefly is that, um, you know, 2011 and then 2016, we had massive flooding, which ended up breaching the Len Small Levee in southern Illinois. Mm -hmm. um, it allows water not only from the Mississippi, but from the Ohio to drain into parts of Alexander County. Because it's all farmland in that area, generational farms it did not the disaster there did not meet the threshold to get the army corps and fema to come in and rebuild the levee so yep. now every season every wet season when either river decides to flood those farmers lose more soil they lose more crops because it happens at the beginning of the year and sometimes it happens late spring after they've already planted that happened last year where 
we went out and did a story and you could already see the crops about a couple inches high and guess what they were all underwater already mm -hmm. and so one thing that'll be interesting if um there's a bill i believe is part of the farm bill possibly we'll finally get funding to fix that levy because farmers have tried and tried and tried to push enough soil but it's literally a th a three-fourths of a mile gap in the levy that's almost impossible and you're talking about manpower and resources that some of those local farmers just don't have yeah then that reaches all the way across the country too even uh, not just here in our area in the local six here now what you're looking at is the billion dollar disasters that happened in the calendar year of 2017 and they're color-coded in with little icons of what happened and you notice that uh, more than 50% of all of the billion dollar disasters in 2017 came from tornado or hurricane and um, I find that interesting well the, the one of note obviously would be Harvey which takes the cake over everything mm -hmm. and more kind of skews the data because that was so incredibly anomalous and outside the realm of what's statistically uh even possible normal. yeah um, if you ever heard of a bell curve i mean um, even if you're not a mathematician i'm sure most people have heard of bell curves that is like s so far beyond even like the bell curve it's like miles upon the center of that now what's interesting too on that map uh the fire in california mm -hmm. uh that was the record setter until the campfire this year um and I know it's, you know, talking about billion dollars disasters, okay, whatever, we're getting more of these disasters. What does it really mean to me? What we're starting to see, look at how much, these are not million dollar disasters. These right. are billion dollar disasters. FEMA has to come in and help these people recover. Mm -hmm. Get the Red Cross, you come in, a lot of local agencies, response come in to help people recover. At some point, that money runs out. You're talking about billion dollar disasters. You're starting to see places like Alexander County that can't get the funding because it doesn't meet a threshold of disaster yep. relief. We had the tornadoes in northern Illinois two weeks ago. They're not going to meet the threshold, and that was a lot of damage. Mm. We had the same thing happen for the Brookport tornado. Same thing. A lot of these smaller-scale disasters, like flooding and let's say flash flooding, maybe not river right. flooding, flash flooding in a community um maybe some of these tornado events that don't hit a big city but hit more of a rural location like they did in illinois these are just not going to get funding anymore because we're seeing so many more disasters that are mm -hmm. high price tags on them billion dollar disasters yep. there's not going to be money to help fund the little people, the people that are out yep. on farms in rural areas that need the assistance probably more than anyone else, and we're just going to run out of money, let alone insurance. Exactly. A lot of those places, flood areas mm -hmm. that are ne that never were flood areas before that are now, you can't get insurance in those areas, yeah. or it's so expensive you can't afford it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the same. That's the same thing that happened in Texas with Harvey, as I'm sure has been well documented, reported, and many, many or most of you already know, some of the people, there was a statistic at a weather conference I was at a year ago at the American Meteorological Society conference. One of the NWS Mets was there, and I forget, I think it was like almost two-thirds of all the people impacted in Houston alone did not have 
flood insurance because they didn't think they weren't a flood plain, it was probably. needed but also they were told you know you don't need flood insurance flood insurance it doesn't flood like that here and so two just think about that two-thirds of the people in houston did not have flood insurance because they did not think that anything like that would happen and they were screwed i mean so unfortunately so many people got screwed because they didn't have flood insurance and think about this too there are lasting impacts it's not just mm -hmm. the immediate response and recovery but think about all the people that possibly didn't have insurance did they get the assistance or the money to properly clean flooded areas like drywall mm -hmm. so if the answer is no are they going to have breathing problems now yeah. because mold is in their home that's right or their children saying you know what i mean there yeah. are just domino effect impacts from disasters like that and i mean i'm sure the same is for the carolinas after mm. florence same thing you had neighborhoods like that that had never flooded before well, it's very not so to that extent oh yeah well, and this this conversation is very similar to where I'm from up in New England, where a lot of people on the coast don't have hurricane insurance. Because it's know. so rare to get a large sustaining hurricane. Right. It's actually not rare <clears throat> to get tropical systems up right. there. Like, we actually do average a tropical system every year that impacts, which just nobody's home is going to get completely wiped from a tropical storm unless the surge or there's inches upon inches of rain. But, you know... It's the same thing up there. Like, there's so many regions of the United States where people do not have the right type of insurance or protection on their home or family because this type of stuff hasn't happened. But in a warming climate, it's going to become more frequent. Oh, and look at Sandy. I mean, that's the that's the textbook case of yes, it can happen. Storm surge from that, and then you looked mm. at New Jersey and the amount of water. And the thing that about was that was, it inland. was only a tropical storm Atlanta. I mean, it was extra tropical, right? I mean, that, characteristics were probably that of a tropical system, tropical is, storm. But. This is where we get into a whole other discussion because I was under the presumption, being in being in Southwest Connecticut at that time, that that was a hurricane at landfall. I read actually a lot of conspiracy papers or people criticizing the Weather Service for make, changing the name before landfall because they knew how big it would be in the impacts. So they what they wanted it to be called. Um, they did, for some reason, I, I forget the reason why, but they, because they, right before landfall, it was a hurt category one, but they changed it to a tropical storm, and then they, right, Superstorm Sandy. Was and then somehow the name Superstorm got the name for it in the media and everywhere, and I remember like six hours before landfall, they, it was extra tropical, tropical storm Sandy, and I was like, what? No. Is that just because it's, it's lost its properties of... I mean, there's technical weenies in the tropical well, yeah. world. Yeah, I don't that remember the exact reasons for would that. Would probably but, explain it better, but yeah, that's a little off course. But anyway, the point it has being, to do with the characteristics of the storm itself, right. not whether it had sustained winds at a certain point or surge. It was the core of the storm had changed mm -hmm. that they wanted to officially right. take the tropical out of it. And that was only a, a tropical storm of one at landfall, and it made landfall in South Jersey, and portions of Manhattan were underwater. I mean, the videos of MTA being full. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast episode is the problems with MTA for the New Yorkers in the audience. But, uh, and then I mean, you had all the fires in New Jersey. It was Jersey hundreds of miles off. south of New York, and yeah. MTA was flooded as if it hit New York. And that was only a tropical I mean, imagine if a real hurricane right. hit 
Went was up it the Hudson Gloria? River. Gloria up there in Gloria New went up the actually the Connecticut River. Okay. It hit it hit central Long Island and then went up through New Haven right up Hartford. But that's one of the big benchmark right. storms, yes. right? But yeah, and you can see on the graphic on YouTube if you're looking at it right now, but the the overwhelming majority of billion dollar disasters have been <clears> in the southeastern United States. Mainly hurricanes. That would right. be fair to say. A lot of that is from hurricanes. Um which doesn't mean they're not significant. It means we're consistently seeing maybe not more hurricanes, but mm -hmm. we're seeing more large hurricanes. Right. Um, you know, we're not seeing necessarily an increase in hurricanes over the years. We're seeing an increase in how many of those hurricanes become major hurricanes mm -hmm. and make landfall as major hurricanes um, or bring a massive amount of water with them um, and ends up being a flooding event costing yep. the damage. And it really truly is remarkable when you think about it that even only since 1980 there's been hundreds of billion dollar disasters that have occurred in the United States which is just mind-blowing to me and it's yeah. only gonna get it's only gonna get worse and more frequent from here. Says the seven years with the most billion dollar disasters have all come in the last decade. Of the total inflation adjusted costs since 1980, over 25% have come since 2015, including the record $312.7 billion in mm. 2017. Well, a lot of that, in. Harvey, I'm sure. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. Do, we, do you remember? And the what, wildfire. That's true. Do you remember what Harvey was around? Damage-wise, I don't think I remember. Oh, it, was, I can't. it was well into the... That, was that one Are of the top ones in the United States? even done finishing the assessment <laughs> from it? I don't even know. Like, it's just incredible. Yeah, that's got to be one of the top top ones to ever hit the United States ever. Um, but, yeah, the, the, so the main takeaway here is that uh, in a warming climate, these types of weather events and disasters are going to become more frequent and more widespread across the United States. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, the fire, too. Um, you know, something I wanted to focus on in this episode. It is so heartbreaking to me as a meteorologist, as someone that takes a lot of pride in disaster preparedness mm -hmm. for viewers and those that look to us for that. Yep. Um, that we're forgetting how horrible... You know, Matthew was the worst to ever make landfall in the Panhandle of Florida. Matthew? Or was it, the, I mean, the one this year? Yeah. That was Matthew? Jeez, I forgot the name of it. Michael, sorry. Michael, sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Matthew was the one that went through right, Florida right, right, on right. the other side. Sorry. Right. Michael. I was really serious. I was really getting to a good point here. No, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I forgot, too. Okay. No, you're right. Michael, one of the worst to ever hit... I mean, Mexico Beach in that whole area down there. Pa mm. Panama City, people don't realize Panama City is still trying oh, to recover. Years. They've oh, lost yeah. so many businesses. They've lost so many properties because of that storm. I would not even be shocked if they said they found more people that had perished in the storm. Mm -hmm. It was that bad. And it's like, unfortunately, I just forgot its name. You know, and I'm a meteorologist, so think about the rest of the country. Or how about the campfire? It seems like, well, it's out, and now we've moved on. 
Or you talk about the earthquake in Alaska. Did you even remember that happened just a couple weeks ago? Like, those are big things that happen, and it feels like our time scale is just shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. Well, also, it's funny and interesting how the media covers certain of these big natural disasters differently. You know, I remember, like, with... The Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico, I mean, we're still, I mean, you flip on the news on any given week and you still see coverage of that now. now I'm not going to get into a political debate here, but, you know, this touch, this goes into another direction of, you know, the media and newspapers talking about disasters and weather. But, you know, like, how long did we talk about Florence, Michael, Harvey? I mean, how much do you see now about Harvey recovery efforts? Nothing, you know? The wildfires. I mean, when it's happening, it, we cover it nonstop, and as soon as it's done, it's like, next. Yeah, but and some, it's almost because we, there is something next right right around the corner. But some events like Maria, where there's so many political ties to it, you know, we're still covering it now. But how about the poor people who were lost everything in Florida and Texas, you know? So well, I think that's that just, it. I think that's normal, though, for some sectors of the public to get behind some of our own people that can't. I guess protect themselves and I think that's sort of where the root of things come from Puerto Rico because it is such a poor part of the US and it's often forgotten as part of the US mm. and um, you know we visited there before Maria and it is it is really really sad to see so much of the island in just despair and you know what they've been getting by for a long time they've dealt with tropical systems but Maria was so Biblical, if mm. you will. Horrific. And they don't have necessarily the education that we do here in the mainland. I mean, they just don't have the same access to things that we do. And I would venture to guess that a lot of them didn't know what was coming yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. In the U.S., we are so heightened to disasters. Yeah. Our, and our senses pretty much go off pretty quickly when there's something really bad about to happen. I don't know that that can be said for those in Puerto Rico. And, you know, they have a National Weather Service there, but the radar was destroyed. Yeah. I mean, the forest there, it's the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Deforested. Just, it just yeah. broke my heart. And so I think that there are a sector of people, maybe meteorologists, whoever, that just don't want people to forget that they need us there. And so I, I hate to bring the politics into it. I don't really care about government response because there's always going to be failures in every disaster by government response, some worse than others, because it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. Each disaster is completely different from one another. There are going to be different needs, different varying sectors of communities that need different types of assistance. They're all going to be different. So I, I tend to give a little leeway. I can't say that, that response was perfect by any means in Puerto Rico. It was not good at all. But I think that, you know, we, we just have to be aware of the fact that these billion-dollar disasters are on the increase. And um, unfortunately, I think our response is going to continue to decrease as these increase. I just don't, I just don't know how they sustain hmm. funding disasters. Oh, it's an interesting. Uh, it's, it's an interesting point, and it's also a sad point. But it's like many things. It's sad, but it's the reality, and it's something we have to deal with. 
And unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon, especially with the way the climate looks. Uh, it's not really just the U.S. either. Oh, I mean, yeah. there are global impacts that we just don't hear about because there's so much going on here. But you look over in Iceland, you look in Russia, some of the most epic snows mm -hmm. you've ever seen. I've never seen anything like that here. You look over there in some of those regions right now and some of the epic snows that are coming down. Just crazy. I mean, it's happening everywhere. you got fires and drought in Australia a lot of the times. Uh, as you get into their summer months, they get these horrible droughts and fires over there. And it's, it's that positive feedback mechanism. The drought and the, and the fires start to feed drier conditions, and then you get more fires. And yep. same thing would happen out of California. We're still trying to recover from a decade-long severe drought in a lot of those areas. Mm. And um, this is certainly something we're going to keep talking about going forward, um, the amount of billion-dollar disasters that occurred in the United States. And uh, without much further ado, unless you have any other points, Jen, I think we can put a bow tie on this discussion. I think you left us with a good, with a good point right there. I think so. I think it's, you know, just, you know, trying to keep in mind and, and stress to public officials and those in your community that they have to be disaster ready for themselves too. Mm -hmm. You can't always rely on the government and agencies to come in and be, and take care of all of it. Because sometimes when you get into these disasters, like these small flash flood events or these tornadoes, it's just not gonna make the grade yeah. for relief. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna have to start accepting that because of these other billion dollar disasters. And I think that's a good last word to leave us on for this. I was done with event. this topic, I think. I am not done with this topic. It's just I cannot, I don't think I can come up with any better. You had some really good points there the past couple of minutes. I'm not sure I can top any of those. And I happen to agree with, also I happen to agree with all of them. Well, <laughs> I think it's, you know, community effort. And you and I, on a personal level, we're responsible mm. for preparing our viewers because they look to us for those types of guidance when we're talking about weather and, and big weather events. And so I think that's, you know, it starts local. So that's one thing that's in the ever-changing local broadcast news landscape, which I'm sure we'll probably be doing an episode just on that in the future. But, you know, as much as people use their apps when the weather's quiet, I mean, I say this and I, I'm kind of smacking myself in the face, insulting myself when I say this to people. I'm like, yeah, when the weather's quiet, you know, we get a seven-day stretch of something. You don't need to watch me. Your app is just fine, but whenever there's anything going on, you're still going to tune in to watch local news, and you're not going to use the app. You know, that's when we have to be on our A game. You know, people still—that's maybe more so nowadays. You know, because that the lack of miscue from the app. And if you do check your app during an active weather event, check. there's a feature now where Noah comes out and slaps you in the face, real quick <laughs> and then goes back into the phone Twice. and retreats. <laughs> Yes, that'll be an hour. Lesson we'll, learned. We'll put that in our app. The, yes. Uh, the local six radar app. Don't do it. <laughs> Just. <laughs> oh, God. That's, that's actually funny. <laughs> All right. So that's it for this week. Uh, next week, we will not be doing a podcast because we will be at McCracken County Library reading our right. winter reading night with kiddos at the maybe, uh, maybe we'll post. We'll, maybe we could do something. We'll, we'll post something on our Twitter page from there. Yeah, we can do that. But um, so we'll be out in the community next week, and of course, the week after that is Christmas break. So we'll see what we'll do for that and next year. New. This is the last podcast of 2018. Oh, it is. Did you Wait. realize? Uh, yes. 
Because the week after that, you're going to be flying. Oh, just drop the bombshells off. And I'm going to be on the road and. On the road again. Unless I could do the podcast without you, I suppose, on the 26th. Yeah, we could do a solo show. What's wrong with that? <laughs> we'll see. That will be a special <laughs> edition if it happens. <laughs> Jennifer herself <laughs> talking for a whole half hour. Maybe I'll have a guest on. You can always call in from your airport. That's true. Well, we'll I do just... have the Wi Fi in the plane, so I could That's call true. in the plane. Let's not count on Wi-Fi on a plane. Oh, uh, sure. I don't think there's been many podcasts done from 35,000 feet. But anyway, hope you all have a good rest of your week, and thanks for listening to our, I think, very interesting topic of billion-dollar disasters, which is going to be something that becomes much more front-facing in the news and in weather going forward. So without further ado, I'm Noah Bergeron, and alongside... Jennifer Rukavina. Bye-bye. Bye.